0: Welcome to Living at the Mercy of the Moment, a new podcast for this moment in the pandemic. I'm your host, Shira Dicker. Living at the Mercy of the Moment invites you to join an intimate conversation between me and Jeanette Perutz-Elsner. Jeanette is the author of the forthcoming autobiography, MS as Metaphor, a memoir of life at the mercy of the moment. Jeanette's memoir documents her almost improbably challenging life journey, which culminated in the development of multiple sclerosis when she was a young woman. As you will discover, Jeanette has a message for listeners and the world at large. If you want help surviving this impossibly difficult moment, perfect your powers of resilience. This is Episode 10, The World Our Elders Are Leaving, The World Our Grandchildren Are Inheriting. Welcome, Jeanette. Hi, Shira. Hello. Listeners of living at the mercy of the moment, know that our conversation about the particular challenges and features of your struggle with MS have a way of circling back to the global disability afflicting all of humanity, namely the COVID-19 pandemic. What you're experiencing on a personal micro level is now being experienced by people around the world, and now, of course, we're into the second surge, and we have explored that in the course of our episodes, focusing on different aspects. The resilience and coping mechanisms that we have built up over decades are important for anyone now who is struggling with the dislocation, isolation, fear uncertainty, and general stress of living through a pandemic. With the election looming and the political discourse heating up, the stakes have never seemed higher. So full disclosure, listeners, we had our script ready to go. And then Jeanette called me early today and said that she wanted to discuss a connection between MS and coronavirus that we had not previously discussed, namely that the prevalent understanding of the onset of MS identifies a viral infection that then activates the MS. So we discussed viruses in the context of COVID-19 and the role of trauma in enabling a virus to flourish in the human body. We talked about the trauma, Jeanette, Jeanette, that your mother, a Holocaust survivor, suffered. We talked about the multiple traumas you suffered prior to the onset of your MS. So, before we get into our topic for today, before we discuss the elders, before we discuss our grandchildren and the world that they are inheriting, let me turn the mic over to you to discuss the virus angle.
1: Yes, it came upon me recently. Just the other day, it struck me the parallel between COVID-19 virus and the MS virus. MS is believed to be triggered by a virus. There is some possible susceptibility, a genetic susceptibility. However, MS is linked to a virus. And the COVID-19 is a virus. So the parallel between what I have lived through for years and what the world is going through now, is remarkable. Um, I have experienced with this uh, situation. I have fought uh, a virus. I have successfully fought the virus psychologically. I tried the best I can physically. But we, the world, are unified in this fighting of a virus. And it was remarkable to me to think that I have experienced exposure to a virus coinciding with the world's exposure and traumatization by this Mm COVID-19. Right. And, you know, we've spoken before just about how
0: the world was unified before, really in support of New York and support of America around 9-11 and the unity. I know that I expected one of the harshest um, aspects of this time for me is the disunity, is the divisiveness, is the animosity, just the culture of us versus them that exists right now. And maybe in a while, and maybe with a change of administration here, there will be a sense that this virus in not that we wish it upon us, but it will have the effect. It it has, what is true about this virus is it is uniting all of humanity. And I remember at the very beginning, Jeanette, when we, even before we started doing the podcast, we were talking about this, that this is the craziest thing. Everybody is susceptible. Every single person. I think they're finding with some, some people actually have, some built-in immunity, but truly all of mankind, money doesn't protect you, your ethnicity, your religion, your geography. Um, and you and I were also speaking about the conference that we were at in May of 2019 in Los Angeles. Um, it was the Race to Erase MS. And there was a panel of medical professionals Saturday morning. And um, I had gone over to speak to a doctor. Is it was Dr. Kaplan from Yale? Yes,
1: Dr. Adam Kaplan.
0: Dr. Adam Kaplan, so we were talking about. From John I, I
1: Hopkins, had, he's a John Hopkins. Oh,
0: uh, from Hopkins, correct. So sorry, from Hopkins. We were talking about the role of trauma in triggering MS. And I asked him if there was any study uh, done on the daughters of Holocaust survivors because Shira Dicker, freelance detective, noticed that a lot of her friends who are the daughters of Shoah survivors have MS. Uh, he thought that that was fascinating. He thought that that warranted further exploration. And he did tell me that there was, he was familiar with a study. I believe it was with irritable, irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease, gastric disturbances, and the children of Shoah survivors. So here you have trauma. And you were telling me something also just about your mother and sort of intrauterine trauma and all that.
1: Yes, uh, there, there was intrauterine trauma i believe i strongly believe that i developed ms because of intrauterine trauma she also had i think some virus she was ill during the holocaust and that trauma i'm the only one that i know of in the family that has ms perhaps other people may have had it but they were i wouldn't know because most of my family they were uh killed and murdered in the Holocaust. But Mm -hmm. um, I believe that I have MS because of the trauma that she suffered and that trauma was passed to me psychologically, perhaps through a virus. Uh, That's my strong belief and there have been studies. I think there was a woman, Rachel Yehuda perhaps, talking about Mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder in children of survivors perhaps viruses. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I do believe that I have it because of past trauma that was passed on to me intrauterine.
0: Mm-hmm. And the world is vulnerable. I think uh, COVID surfaced at a time where the world is really in a trauma, certainly America's in a trauma. And I keep on Uh, Citing this equation, it's what we're suffering from is not just COVID-19, but it's 19 plus 45. Obviously, 45 refers to um, the person currently occupying the White House, hopefully not for very much longer. And um, the trauma, we are traumatized. Um, It's been four years, four long years, and um, a virus needs a susceptible host, and America and the world is very susceptible. Some people uh, wonder if, if the climate crisis, the climate change crisis right now also has readied the world uh, for this, the virus's um, power. This is a powerful virus. I will never forget one of the phrases of uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci at the beginning, really at the beginning, he was interviewed, and I think it was either by Anderson Cooper or Sanjay Gupta, and he said, this virus has tremendous capabilities, not to underestimate where this virus has gone. And I just wanna say, because a lot of us have talked about the gift of the summer, that um, the summer seemed to offer us a little bit of space to breathe. For me, and I was shocked really about a month ago, I heard people swearing up and down that the virus went away during the summer. And I thought, are you not? <laughs> like, who thinks that really? For me, it was the monster was hiding in a closet, but the monster didn't go away. And we all avoided the closet, right? We had measures. Um, I think if people really let their guards down, that was a grave mistake. And um, again, we, we still don't know enough about how this virus works, what it was doing over or where it was over these past few months, the summer months, where, where things had uh, lessened. Again, it, it could not have been said to go away. But um, Jeanette, you're right, there is a, there's a parallel here, certainly for you and for the world at large. And we were talking about hope. I mean, viruses do go away, right? And we were talking about your hope for the world um, for a post-coronavirus time And how you live with knowing that the MS that now occupies you, that can't go away, right? At the very most, maybe there can be a halting of the progression. But how are you able to have the generosity of spirit to hope the best for the rest of the world, like a recovery? In Hebrew, we say refuash lehma, a complete recovery. How are you able to summon up that... um, altruism for the rest of humanity when you know that even when COVID goes away, MS will still be residing. With I email. guess it's
1: my survivor instincts, my feeling, what I was saying, what I feel is that unfortunately for me, my MS will progress. I will not get better. My hope is that it would remain as is now. Uh, but I feel that despite my worsening there's a hundred percent hope for the world. Why? Because this pandemic will, it will, it will stop to it will stop in the version that it is now. It will not propel. There will be a virus. People will be better. And that's very hopeful. So parallel to my getting worse, unfortunately, the world will be better. So through this virus, the unification, you have the this dichotomy of my worsening, but my assurance to the world. What is wonderful, what I am very hopeful about is that people will feel and learn at through what all this trauma, this terrible trauma in every area of our lives, there is hope of uprising of, of gratitude because when you've gone through the darkness, the darkness that we all have gone through we see the other side there's there's hope people will be arise will live in gratitude grateful for the smallest thing and that's how i have lived i've lived every mm-hmm. small thing that's happened i'm so grateful for and that if the world could live that way how empowered we all would be how how our sense of well-being would improve hmm mm-hmm, Jeanette, you just made me realize something I hadn't fully
0: um focused on throughout this time because I so agree with you, you know, and for some of us, it's really about relinquishing things that are not necessary um some of them may be habits, some of them may be small indulgences um we've lived such lives of... freedom and um, absence of fear and luxury, right? The luxury of small matters. My daughter who lives in Los Angeles said to me, she's just, when it happened, she said, I really like the little rituals of my life, like the small luxuries, you know, waking up in the morning, walking with her baby to the uh, place on Melrose Avenue where she gets her matcha, you know, the little things that you don't even think about and to pause and they're the entire world. You know, um, I you know that I love to sing karaoke and Saturday night when the sun went down and I'm a Sabbath observer. So Shabbat was over. I just stood in the kitchen. And for the first time in months, I allowed myself to feel sad for the small luxury of saying to my husband, see you later. And grabbing my metro card and taking the number one train down to one of my favorite bars, a place called Walters, for this wonderful karaoke fest, you know, and and nothing with just like buy a tequila, sing some songs, hang out with people, be silly, and suddenly that is just the most. I think I appreciated how fun it was. Now it just seems. So wonderful, but the real takeaway I just wanted to tell you that you made me focus on is something I knew and I was told since childhood, but I didn't think about this. And that is the concept for those of us who are God focused. The concept is that we're returned to is that God is everywhere, right? These edifices, these places of gathering, these houses of worship, it's for people, that's not for God. It's it's for us to get together, it's social. They recently I saw a wonderful study about two weeks ago that showed that people who gather in houses of worship uh, experience an endorphin rush. Well, why not? It's 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 community. It's warm. You're singing together. You're wishing each other well. But in terms of God, God is everywhere. Right. There's this little song I used to sing and. Jewish mommies and daddies, and maybe there's a Christian or Muslim or other, other religion form. But the song goes like this, knowing that the word for God in Hebrew is Hashem, which means the name. So it goes like this, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. And it just, you know, up, up, down, down, left, right, and all around. And this concept that we can gather through the miracle of technology remotely, right? We can gather through Zoom And we can gather um, on conference calls and, you know, outdoors, and we can improvise. I think we've discovered the capacity for improvising. And I felt sorry for people who've broken with public safety protocols. I mean, I've been angry at them. But I've also felt sorry that they can't adapt, that they can't say to themselves, I really need to give up to those behaviors of the before time for now, so we can have an aftertime. Um anyway, this is a great segue. And with your permission, Jeanette, because we're talking about that the really, you know, leaving a world for those who come after us, for our children and our grandchildren. And you and I are blessed to be new grandmothers, newish grandmothers. My grandson, Neil Milo, in LA, turns 16 months today in Los Angeles, as I said. And your grandson, Harry, living in Brooklyn, how old is is Harry now? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, Harry is nine months old. So, talk to me about watching your son, Jonathan, raise his first child during this pandemic. I think you've been able to see how have, have you? Under what kind I of circumstances? Have. I, yeah, I just t-
1: wanted to mention in my memoir, I write about uh, that in the future, when I would have a grandchild or if I would have a grandchild, it saddened me that I would be unable to do what many grandparents can do, that is move, walk, go to a park, mm-hmm. and that saddened me coinciding with potential happiness there was sadness a realization of what was to come so i was uh, prescient in, in in what is really happening now i am able to see my grandson um to see my son jonathan parent his son is beautiful he's a wonderful parent he adores his son He and his wife, Liz, they're phenomenal parents. I am seeing my, we have been seeing my grandson uh, many times through a mask, a mask, which is, Mm -hmm. is so sad because for all of us, it's a disruption of connection. A normal, loving, wanting to touch and to hold has been thwarted by through all of us, the whole world, we've, there has been a severance of connection and connection is vital to humanity. It's very vital to me having MS because neurologically there has been a stopping, a severance, a disconnect, and this is, it's very painful. So I, when I see my grandson and it's, it's, there's a beauty, there's a beauty to it. It's a new beautiful grandchild, a new person coming into the world, but I don't have a fluidity of connection. I go there to, mm-hmm. um, we go there as a family to see him in, uh, in Brooklyn, uh, Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. Occasionally they come here. I was fortunate last time to actually touch my grandson and it was so exhilarating something that you wouldn't have thought of before to create happiness a touch now for all of us is 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 remark is beautiful and you realize the importance of touch of communication which we've all lost in this pandemic
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yet in a weird way you're joined right the fears depression fears that you had right um we're all hobbled right now grandparents during this time um if my friends who are grandparents complain about anything it's it's really about um that lack i love how you put it the lack of fluidity so we're all even if it's a temporary thing we are we are um, disrupted
1: in connection Disrupted. disrupted, that's in what connection. it is, it's a, and and it's so we're unified in sadness.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I wonder. I mean, look, you know, the the studies, the doctoral dissertations that are going to come out from this particular epoch, right, in contemporary history, um, what the generation, what I I've, I hope Harry and Neil Milo are young enough so that they're not going to have memories or have very few memories of the masks and all that. And maybe just, you know, when they, they will emerge soon into, into a a healthy world. So I've been at my, on my end, I think, you know, this, I've been lucky enough to have not just seen Neil Milo this summer for one glorious week, unimpeded, but I shared my beloved bungalow adventure with him. So my daughter, Emma, and son-in-law, Michael, flew into New York in August. They quarantined for two weeks on Long Island. And during that time, we were able to see them outside from afar, mask, no, no touching. And then after they took a COVID test, and thank God it came out negative, we spent the most extraordinary week together at Rosemary's, our bungalow colony in Monroe. And I felt I honestly felt like you know when somebody says I want to eat you up I felt like I had to consume my <laughs> grandchild, my <laughs> daughter, my son-in-law. It was just so I we couldn't have enough. It was, it was so it, it was so unbelievable. It was like being starving and then having a banquet and it was a week and it was everything and then it was over. And you and I, you know, we we talked about this so much and um You know, I have some friends, I think, who really I think this is the most traumatic part of COVID for them is not being able to spend holidays. You know, Uh, Jews don't have the monopoly on being together as a family during the holidays, but they do it in a very excessive way. And I have been on the phone listening to my friends sobbing hysterically about not being able to be together for Rosh Hashanah or for the holiday of Sukkot, which just passed. And you know, um, Fauci already put the warning out that people should not be having blowout family Thanksgiving meals. And I thought, what person out there is thinking about having these meals. And I thought most people are, you know, because that's what we're used to. And it's, it's, it's one of the most, I mean, Thanksgiving is such a great holiday, such a unifying holiday. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, our kids are knowing us through FaceTime, right? And that's a something, and I'm grateful. We're, we're so grateful. Um, so one thing, Jeanette, I was thinking about is with this with this disruption you're t- talking about do you bring a special child of survivor sensibility to the separation of family during this time is it triggering for you in any way or is it just familiar do you th- think is does it have special resonance for you because of the history of your your family yeah,
1: it has it has resonance it's familiar all of these traumas are so familiar to me that, as I said, it's like it's an appendage. It's nothing unusual. So I feel, unfortunately, through very empowered through all of these situations, through not being able to see my son and my grandson and my daughter-in-law as often as I would like to. But I have strength in this. Lack of ability. I have strength uh, in in my misfortune. Unfortunately, it's empowering, um, and it is familiar to me. So I have resilience, and I seem to have the defenses to be able to cope through all mm-hmm. this. And I feel very able, very capable, and very wanting to help other people. I would anyone who would mm-hmm. come to me. I would help them through experience from my heart, because this is so traumatic and tragic, what is happening to all of us together. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. That's beautiful, it is happening to all of us together. So you're right, and everyone is suffering, everyone is affected, but some groups I think are more affected, honestly. And I do believe that my bracket, which is the empty nest, you know, pre hopefully, you know, pre senior citizen that it's a small period of time, right? We are in a position to help, right? We are not the parents of small children. And I'm feeling enormously sad for parents of small and school aged children. Um, that's really stressful. I feel sorry for people who are alone, truly alone. You know, I may have mentioned this in previous podcasts. I have friends who have the most accomplished careers and I have so admired and even envied their lifestyles. They're unencumbered. Uh, They are single by choice, but their travel, all the conferences, all the visiting professorships, all the lectures have come to a grinding halt and they are on house arrest so that's what that's their, what i call wherever it is my that they live
1: for, in quarantine and house arrest. that's how i i i've expressed myself uh, to you many times but what's so sad for yes. me little children with the masks i it's so so mm. brutally sad for me mm-hmm. however these the little children they don't know anything differently. They this is what is familiar yeah. and it's kind it's very sad. Mm-hmm. Now for your grandson and for my grandson, they're babies. So they they have not they will not have experienced this. Hopefully by the time they go to school, they will be able to be unmasked, mm-hmm. mask-free. Right.
0: I love that. I love that. And You know, this summer there was, depending on, and this is very dependent, they say, I've heard social observers say that one thing that coronavirus unmasked are the tremendous social disparities, right? The tremendous um, economic disparities. So depending on where you were, let's take a look at the summer. If you, like me, were in a, you know, funky, ramshackle, but beautiful setting in the mountains, You were lucky. And the kids who were there, they were lucky. They didn't have summer camp. They didn't have travel. But what they had was an old fashioned summer. They played with just a small group of friends or cousins. And depending on the parents, maybe it was just, you know, one other kid. But that was it was there was a magic. And I was talking to the parents who said that they think that their kids are going to look back fondly but then you think about other kids i live in manhattan i'm thinking about kids here who are stuck in apartments when when the um when playgrounds were closed so i think it does vary i think every it's hard for everybody for, but for some people it's harder than others and i want to now just pivot if if i can to the, another group that i feel so so sad for and i have such a personal connection because i am the daughter of two beautiful, wonderful people in this bracket, and that is our elderly, seniors. I'm just torn up from my parents. And what I'm torn up about is, aside from the disruption and the, you know, just all the rules that they have to follow, they are witnessing a world gone mad. And, you know, I've wondered. I've wondered how my parents were coping. And, Jeanette, my parents, I don't know, they we were so caught up because there have been some very serious health matters with my father that started before the pandemic. And so the pandemic was happening and we talked about it and, you know, they knew the rules and everyone wore masks and, you know, all of a sudden gloves and hand sanitizer and they're clearly watching the news, but it seems that it's only in the last few weeks that they've changed channels. And that's very literally completely horrified. They are looking at what's going on and saying that the world has gone crazy. And I see first it was like, oh, my God. And now I've I've heard fear in their voice. And I thought, my God, I mean, my parents should live and be well. People, you know, as they say in Jewish circles until 120, my dad's 89, my mom's 86. Right. But I'm trying to imagine I'm projecting being elderly and frail and looking at this world falling to pieces. Like that's terrifying. I am horrible to be stricken,
1: stricken in isolation to see what's going on in isolation throughout the world. But it's, it's so, it's so sad because the aloneness, the aloneness is, 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 is terrible. I can say for myself, M- with ms the neurologically the aloneness is so it's enhanced now because the c- connections are disrupted so we're all your parents, myself, people with disabilities or neurological conditions it's so striking what is happening now the the sadness, the isolation it's is, it's 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 so so sad. The mask, the mask, the whole idea. You look at masks, and everyone everyone looks the same in in mm-hmm. a sad way. And there, you can't. You, everyone looks like a bunch of aliens walking around. You look mm-hmm. at people on masks, in masks, in masks on masks. It's so sad. It's so sad, and. Oh, it just it's just awful.
0: Yeah. MS mass. And it's
1: plaguing sadness, sadness mm. how it plagues us. It plagues yeah. Yeah. us psychologically. It plagues. it plagues us physically. It plagues mm. us in terms of connection. This mm. plague. hmm hmm
0: It's very tangible. And you know, last night I found myself trying to reassure my dad. He said, What's gonna happen? Now I, I said, Abba, there's going to be a change. There, there is going to be a change. We're going to change our administration, and we're going to get on top of the virus. And the scientists, we're giving time for the scientists to come up with a vaccine. And you know, and and I said to him, and you know, because he knows I'm activistic. I think my parents are proud of me. And I came in yesterday, by the way, with my I just I voted early sticker. And of course I was a complete emotional basket case at the polls and um, I don't pray a lot, but I prayed when I cast my vote and um, yeah, you know, I, I, I just, I want, I want so many things from my parents, but at the top of the list, I want them, I want to hold their hands and take off my mask and have I want to be able to kiss them? Oh, that's so to-
1: so moving because that's what that's what I feel when I touched my grandson for the first time. It was so exhilarating. It was so it was so magnificent. It was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. But out of this, I I am hopeful and I'm sure that there will be tremendous from all this pain there will be tremendous creativity, tremendous flourishing of creativity, of of connection, of kindness. I think a lot of positive things will be an outcome from this tragedy that has befallen the world. I'm sure of it. Because from lows, when we reach an extreme low, where can we go? We can only ascend. And I am sure that this pandemic will in a way will be very very moving very a very positive force of movement for the world
0: I mean I mean may it be so let it be so Jeanette um this is a beautiful beautiful note to uh end our our conversation on so I want to Thank you, as always, for the conversation. And I want to thank our our audience for tuning in to Living at the Mercy of the Moment. I'm your host, Shira Dicker, and please continue sending me comments. I've been getting gorgeous comments and questions at shiradicker18 at gmail.com. That's shiradicker one 8 at gmail.com may your moments be merciful may we get through this challenging time strengthened may a positive change come upon us america and the world at large and may we and the world heal thank you so much bye Jeanette.